We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 13 today. Matthew chapter 13. And we're going to be looking at... I just feel like I need to pray. Lord, help me today, God, convey this message. Would you pray for me today? Would you stretch your hands and pray for me? God, I can't do this without you. (laughs) I can't. So God, I need you. I need you to speak through me today. God, the burdens are great, but God, you are greater. And God, I don't want to say anything or be animated by anything other than your Holy Spirit today. But let your Holy Spirit animate me today, God, to share your word, God, for your people. Because this is your bride in whom you love. And you've asked me to tell them how much they're loved in you. So God, send your Holy Spirit even now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know it's a a good day when you wipe your tears with the same thing you blew your nose in, but (laughs) it is what it is. We'll just go on with it. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 through 46, and we'll we'll get to that later. We're going to be talking today about the value of Christ and his kingdom. And Christ sets forth a parable that would allow us to see the value of some things. Now I'm going to start out by preaching this the way I had always interpreted it. And then we're going to turn everything on its head and we're going to see another side, another interpretation uh, of this parable. But how many of you know there's nothing in this universe more valuable than Jesus Christ? That everything that was created was created by Him, for Him, and through Him. So when people tell you things like, why are you making such a big deal out of Jesus? You say, well, everything that was created was created by Him. It's created for Him, and it was created through Him, and it's all someday going to go back to Him. So what's improper is when I don't make Jesus the center of everything, when I don't put Him first in all I do, and when I'm not talking about Him that much, that's when things are out of order. See, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And if you really value Him, there's no sacrifice that you're not willing to make in order to experience Him in a greater way. He's just... It's incalculable of how valuable Jesus is. And you know, I grew up hearing people say that and it felt like preacher talk. You ever just been sitting in the pews and says, that feels like preacher talk. Right? And I had felt that way for years. But when I experienced Jesus, suddenly I realized that wasn't just preacher talk, that Jesus really is that valuable. That he really is so awesome. And to quote a Jason Upton lyric where he says, It's no sacrifice. Here's my life. 
See, when you really find Christ, you realize it's not a sacrifice. You realize that he's worth everything you gave up and more in order to experience him and to know him and to love him and to experience his presence. You begin to see where you came from and what you were and all that crummy stuff. But then you see the most valuable treasure that is Jesus and you run to him and he doesn't reject you. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. And you find out that everything you gave up was paled in comparison to the value and the glory of God and His riches that are innumerable. You find out that Jesus was even better than what you thought. Because He wasn't somebody else's Jesus. He became your Jesus. See, Jesus is a, a treasure. He's the greatest treasure. He's the most wonderful treasure. And when you finally release those things he's been asking you to release, and then you go to him, isn't your first thought always, why didn't I give that up a long time ago? Why did I hold on to that so long as if it was so valuable? See, Jesus is valuable. He's we can't appraise the value of him. He's just that valuable. You can't measure the riches of Jesus and his kingdom. And so Jesus tries to help us get our minds around how valuable he is in the parable that we're going to be reading today. And how many of you know it's important for us to visit how valuable Christ is in our own life? Right? Before you sell anything of any value, what's the first thing you do? Get it appraised. Why? So you don't sell it for something of less than what it is worth. So we have to take these individual, personal uh, inventories every once in a while and just say, how valuable is Jesus Christ really in my life? How valuable is he really? Because if I don't see him as supremely valuable, I'll walk away when something else comes by that I deem more valuable. I'll only follow Jesus to the level that I see his value. Because when something else comes along that I deem more valuable, if I haven't put Christ first, if I haven't seen him as the greatest treasure, when something else comes along, I'll walk away from Jesus every time and go to that thing that I see to be more valuable. There's a story, a short story by F.W. Borum. And he talks about this story of these two birds. And these two birds, there's a wise bird and a foolish bird. And F.W. Borum says, if I was a bird, I would fly till I saw a scarecrow. Then I would know something's valuable and there's a garden there. And I would perch on the scarecrow's shoulder, the thing that's supposed to scare me off, and I would stay and wait until something sprouted and I got to eat. But the foolish bird sees the scarecrow and says, I better get out of here. There's danger. 
See, the point of his story was is that one bird deems what's in the field more valuable than the fear that is in his heart. See, that's what all fear is. It's false evidence that appears real. And you want to know what your destiny is? What's your greatest fear? Because if you don't see Christ as valuable, you won't, you won't even approach that thing that scares you to death. You won't deal with the scary places in your heart. You'll keep running off. And you're going to miss what's trying to come up in the field and what God's trying to do in your life. You've got to be willing to wait like the wise bird. Get on the scarecrow's shoulder and say, I don't care if every instinct in me says this is a man. It's actually a flannel shirt stuffed with hay. And it's not even real. It is a garbage bag cut out in the shape of a crow to make me afraid. But it's not real. The reality is, is that if I deem Christ as the most valuable thing... I'll stand right next to the scarecrow and I'll wait where I'm supposed to wait to get the treasure that I'm supposed to have. See, these are things that we've got to work out in our heart. We've got to work out in our heart. The scarecrow is flannel and overalls stuffed. But those who wait patiently as they see the treasure in the field and are willing to wait, those are going to be the ones that inherit the garden. And that's what Satan does. He walks around like a roaring lion. That's why every time somebody begins to make steps towards Jesus, first thing he does is put fear in their heart. And he roars. He just comes in and he roars. The thing about Satan is, is he's seeking whom he may devour. Not whom he can devour, right? He's seeking whom he may devour. Why? Because the only ones he can devour are those who give him permission in their life. It goes back to the days of asking to use the bathroom in elementary school. Can I go to the bathroom? I don't know. Can you? You say, what do you, may I go to the, okay, yes, you may. Because now you're asking permission. So the devil walks about looking whom he may devour. Who's going to give me permission? And I want to tell you, if you're getting scared with what is happening and, and the places that you're, God's drawing you to in your life, I'm going to tell you right now, get ready because something of the treasure is about to be revealed. And if you don't get afraid and if you stay on that scarecrow's shoulder, you're going to reap the garden and all of its benefits. Blow my nose break, sorry. Background text. Okay. So Jesus had just finished explaining in Matthew chapter 13. He just got done uh, using some parables to explain some things about the kingdom of God. He starts out with the parable of the wheat and the tares. And these parables of the wheat and the tares and the sower and the, and the one who sows seed, that these are discussions about the kingdom of heaven. The seed and the sower, the weeds in the field, this has to do with the nature of the kingdom. How is the kingdom spread? How does it operate? How does it work? Uh, that's what these first two parables about. There's another prayer parables that Jesus tells about the mustard seed and the leaven. And this is where the mustard seed goes from the ground as one of the smallest seeds. Then it comes up and grows up as a tree and say, wow, I didn't see that coming. 
Um, and, and the same with the leaven. A little bit of leaven gets introduced into a lump of dough. And before you know it, the whole thing's risen up. And Jesus is talking here about the unlikeliness. The fact that a 30-something-year-old construction worker dies on a cross. And somehow, 2,000 years later, people on every con- continent are worshiping the risen Savior. It was an unlikely thing that God did, but yet pervasive. It went through all of culture. But then he ends with these next two parables here where Jesus transitions into how valuable the kingdom is and it being so valuable that we should be willing to sacrifice all to obtain it. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, the kingdom of heaven, this was a a Jewish term here, they were afraid to use God's name in vain. So a lot of times they would use the kingdom of heaven instead of the kingdom of God when they were uh, explaining stuff. And so Jesus, to suit his hearers and to draw them in, he uses that lingo. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. Now in this day, what Jesus is probably referring to is a peasant who is working in a man's field. And as he's working the field, he finds this most valuable treasure. He looks around to make sure nobody else saw what he saw, covers it back up, and then goes and sells everything he has to buy the field. But he's buying the field so that he might have the treasure. So he's got to buy the whole field so that he can have the treasure. Now, the next part of this parable, the other one, in verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. Verse 46, when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. That this merchant, this man who deals in the selling of pearls would find one so valuable that all other pearls would pale in comparison to this one pearl. And he would buy that pearl, selling everything else to take that pearl and never sell it again. And instead of being a merchant of pearl, he becomes a worshiper of one pearl. Business slowed down for that man. Because he finally found something that was too valuable to sell. The merchant found something so valuable. He wouldn't sell. These are monadic parables. That, that means that each one of these last two parables have to do with one character. There's a man who's digging in a field, finds a treasure. And then there's a man who is a merchant who's buying and selling pearls. What Jesus is explaining here is this kind of a thing can only be worked out on the individual level and must be worked out in the heart of each and every person on their own privately with an encounter with God. 
This can't be, this kind of a treasuring can't be worked out here. It can't be a challenging sermon or a feel good sermon. Or, this one's got to be worked out privately within each and every human heart. The similarities between these two parables make it clear that Jesus is teaching something here. The kingdom of heaven and its value cannot even be numbered or calculated. The kingdom of God, Jesus' kingly reign in our life and in this earth that nothing is better than being a part of the thing that Jesus is establishing by being a part of his kingdom on the earth. So what's the front door? Unless a man be born again, he can inherit the kingdom of God. So nothing on this earth is more important than you being born again and coming into salvation and serving Jesus with all your heart. That's the most important thing that you've ever could do is that you would bow a knee and surrender to King Jesus. That you would drop your arms of rebellion and drop your arms in a heart that's stained with sin and that you would take a knee and say, Oh, King Jesus, would you save me and call me to be a part of your kingdom? That that would take precedence over anything else in your life. Yeah. See, pearls in this day weren't like what we think of pearls now. We think, man, Jesus should have used a diamond or something, right? Why pearls? Well, and it was not until the 1900s that we invented the ability to culture pearls, to farm pearls, to make them almost artificially. So a perfect pearl in Jesus' day was of the highest value of any jewel you could possibly have. You had to dive to get the pearl with rudimentary equipment, probably just holding your breath. And the odds that you found the right pearl, the perfect pearl, the pearl of great price, was 1 in 10,000. So on average, you'd have to find 10,000 oysters in order to find the perfect pearl. And here is Jesus talking to first century peasants, migrant farm laborers, and he's talking about pearls. they never seen a pearl. They've only heard the legends of pearls. And Jesus is saying, I'm the pearl. So now they're saying, I get the treasure? You're that valuable? The historian Suetonius said that an entire military campaign was financed with one of his mother's pearls, pearl earrings. Cleopatra had Mark Anthony over for dinner and said, I'm going to have the most expensive dinner party you've ever seen to show you that Egypt uh, overwhelms Rome with its riches. When she had him over, the plates were brought out and each plate had a pearl on it. She ground up the pearl, put it in a goblet of wine, chugged it, crossed her arms, and looked at him. He pushed his plate and said, you win. That a pearl of this caliber was worth two million ounces of silver. 
Jesus' day. So when Jesus says pearl, don't think of granny's necklace here. You've got to be thinking, I never laid eyes on that and I'll never probably get to. See, Jesus is talking about a pearl. Something that is so valuable that it can't even be comprehended by his listeners. He's talking about something that's of a value of, that's so great that it won't even be sold. You can't even sell it. Because one, nobody's got the money for it. Number two, its value and its perfection has exceeded any amount that you could get for it. So in a sense, it's so valuable, you're stuck with it. And not only are you stuck with it, you don't even want anybody else to have it. It's something valuable. See, this points to God's goodness. Because how many of you know something that is rare, do you just take it out and show everybody and just have everybody over your house say, come look at my treasure? Where's your treasure? In the safe. It's in a safety security box. And Jesus is palling around with peasants saying, I got the pearl. (laughs) You can have the pearl. See, God is so generous. He takes the most valuable thing he could give us, his own son, and he passes it out. He doesn't lock it up so that everybody else can't have it. Now, I went diving for these. I took a flight out to the coast. Pass those, help me pass those out. And see, God isn't stingy with his treasure. Jesus says, let all who come to me, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved and get in on this treasure. More treasure. Don't mind the hole in there. I individually drilled each one of those. so I didn't go to Hobby Lobby, I promise. Just pass those around and share them. See, Jesus is so good that he's got something so valuable, but yet he wants everybody to share in what he has. So when we read the parable of the sower, of how the kingdom expands, have you ever noticed something that the person sowing seed? The person sowing seed, the seed lands on the rocky soil. It lands on a pathway. I'm sorry, but if you see somebody planting a garden and they got seed and they're just going... Fingers crossed. Right? No, the seed's got a place it's supposed to go. Jesus says, no. No, I throw the seed anywhere I want to throw the seed because it's just that valuable. And I'm so good that if I don't share the most valuable thing I can share with people myself, well, then I'm no longer good. So Jesus is... Not cheating us. He's 
sharing his pearls. He's sowing seed. Okay, Janitor Dwayne, don't get mad at me. He is all about He's all about it. That he's not messed up to share himself with you. Hang on, Diane. Watch out. Close your eyes. That God doesn't shudder when he saw you in your sin and how messed up you are. He doesn't say, man, I wish I wouldn't have did that and paid for them like that. He doesn't say, man, I shouldn't have shared that with them. Look at how they're living and how bad they are over there. See, Jesus sows seed like he sows pearls. And I know where you're going. Well, don't throw pearls before the swine. Well, how'd you get one? How'd I get one? Was I so good that God said, oh, well, here's not a swine. Let's, let's just drop a pearl here. No, that scripture's talking about don't correct people who won't be willing to be corrected. But we don't get to choose who gets the gospel and who don't get the gospel. See, we got to take it on like Christ and the way he sows seed and the way he's got a bag of pearls. He's willing to share himself with anybody and everybody. And it's not so great a treasure that he won't share it, but it is so great a treasure. So that's the paradox of what we have. We have a Jesus who is humble, but yet is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so he's called us to share the gospel with each and every person and not be afraid to walk around with a bag of pearls and think that we can't share them with anybody else or we won't be as rich matter of fact the bible says that whatever you sow you're going to reap and so that the more we sow the more that we get the more that we give the more god is doing in our life and so we've got to have the mentality of jesus to where the amount doesn't matter but we're willing to do whatever it takes to honor the king God isn't sad about throwing you a pearl. He's not worried about his investment. A pearl is nothing to God. The currency based on gold, well, it used to be, not now. But the currency, what you work 40 hours plus a week for to live, Jesus walks on it. But is still willing to leave all of heaven to come and find somebody who will humble themselves and give their life to him. So this is what Paul said in Philippians chapter 3. He said that whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So by worldly estimations, this wasn't a smart decision. 
This wasn't a, a smart decision. What you're supposed to do is you're supposed to get it for cheap, flip it, and sell it. My wife wears me out with Chip and Joanne. I'm just mad about it. Between that and Dr. Pimple Popper, I'm, I just, help me, Lord. I'm going to call Dish and say, shut down Lifetime and TLC and anything else that's got some kind of something like this on it. But I'll tell you how they get you. They say, okay, but if we do that, ESPN's in that package too. Leave it on, I guess. <laughs> Terrible. See, the whole idea is to get something for as the least amount of value you can get it. Take it, fix it up, and sell it for the maximum amount of profit. But now this merchant whose living was selling pearls, his life is ruined. It's no more about trying to find pearls at a cheap price and then selling them for the maximum amount, it's suddenly morphed into, here's this pearl that I've got to have and it's so valuable, I sell everything I have just so that I can have it. So that I could study it. Look at it. And know it. Y'all seen or read Lord of the Rings? My precious... That's creepy, huh? <laughs> but, it's, but it's almost that. It's my precious. See, his life is now, quote unquote, ruined. But in reality, his life now makes sense. Because now, he's in an eternal kingdom and not an earthly kingdom that fades and falls apart and goes away. See, this man's life has changed. And the people who receive the kingdom really will begin to treasure it more than everything else when they begin to fight. It's kind of like, it's not that you can buy Jesus, okay? I'm not saying that. But it's kind of like if a kid was turned loose in a toy store and, and the owner said, you can have any toy in here but you have to want it more than any other toy that's in here. See, this is about something about desire. What is your heart hungering for? Because this is what Jesus tells us, is that where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So if you're not treasuring Jesus, you have to ask yourself, where's my heart? Because whatever I'm treasuring is really where my heart is. And we've boiled down Christianity to say a prayer one time in your life and then do whatever you want to do. And with that being the case, nobody's treasuring Christ, but yet everybody's saved. And you can't convince anybody otherwise. So Christ isn't being honored on the earth and people that see Christians say, oh, well, there's not much to them. They don't really treasure Christ. See, if you treasure Christ, 
Luke chapter 12 verse 32 says this, that it's God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Wow. That it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. This is how valuable Christ is. He's worth everything. He's worth everything. He's worth everything. There was a story of uh, some Moravians. They were in Germany and they created a, a prayer community. And they actually created a hundred year prayer meeting. For 24 hours a day, for a hundred years, they successfully had somebody watching and praying that the glory of God would manifest on the earth. Well, something began to happen because how many of you know it don't take too long to run out of things to pray? Right? You ever tried to pray for an hour and then you're like, I pray for God just help me, Lord. I don't even know I'm out, you know. So they begin to pray. And so they, as they run out of things to pray, they begin to pray for other nations. And then something strange started happening. God started calling them to the nations that they were praying for. <laughs> it's kind of like when Jesus says, pray that God would send laborers. Uh, you're the laborer. <laughs> Sorry. So they begin to pray, and then God began to put, and there was two islands. One was St. Croix, and the other one escapes me. But in these two islands, they wouldn't let them passage in. There was a sugarcane industry, and slavery was going on, and they didn't want anything upsetting the apple cart. So these two missionaries in their 20s, with all their life ahead of them, sold themselves into slavery to evangelize the slaves in the sugarcane fields. The story goes that as they are going out to sea to sign the rest of their life away, all their family gathered to see them leave port. And as the family's weeping and waving goodbye... <laughs> The missionaries shout out, Is not the Lamb worthy of the reward of His suffering? Is He not worthy? Now, if you heard that story and you thought tragedy, I pray for you. Because you don't realize how valuable Christ really is. You haven't esteemed Him in His proper place. But if you will begin to treasure and honor God and let Him do a work in your life, you'll begin to see Him for who He is. And that is the most valuable treasure that could ever be on the face of the earth. That it is all about Him. It is all about Him. You heard that story and you said, that's too far. And you have to ask yourself, how much am I really honoring Christ? Because here's what I've found is that people that are free are always going to be misinterpreted. Because when somebody's free and they begin to live in that reality, two things happen. People realize that they're in a prison that's not locked, that they could walk out of at any time. 
and they either come out and join them or they have to convince themselves that they're not in a prison, but the other person is in the prison. That's what happens when someone gets free. And there's some of you that are just going to have to quit listening to the opinions of other people. How far has that gotten you this far? There comes a point where you have to evaluate Christ for yourself and see how valuable He really is. People say, I need faithful friends. I say, no, you don't. You need faith-filled friends. Because faithful are the wounds of a friend. (laughs) But if you get around some faith-filled friends who begin to start speaking life into you, begin to start showing you Jesus, good things begin to happen. Good things begin to happen. It's like the lady that has the year's worth of wages in a flask and in one moment of time she breaks it and begins to anoint Jesus' feet and she starts crying tears John 12, 1-8 if you want to reference it she starts crying tears and starts using her hair to wipe his feet now picture yourself there we would all probably say, that's kind of weird. And that's what everybody else in the room did too. And it stinks in here. That's too much. Why there? Why like that? Why is this happening? And then Judas even speaks up as the pious religious voice. That should have been sold and given to the poor. But Jesus' answer is so much different. He says, leave her alone. Because you hadn't done anything but open the door for me. And she's not ceased to worship me the way she ought to worship. Imagine the dispensation of time. Jesus hasn't even died on the cross or rose from the dead yet. She doesn't bring the flowers to the funeral. She breaks it before even the redemptive work. That's how far ahead she is in this thing. And she's a woman of the street. She shouldn't even know. She's treasuring Christ. Now we're about to turn this whole thing on its head. You ready? It won't take me long. Tell your stomach. The only one who ever bought anything is never me. Never bought Christ. Raise your hand if you ever sold everything that you had and gave it to God. So while Christ is the greatest treasure, who's the only person in human history that sold everything, gave everything to win and buy back something? Jesus Christ. Thank you, Tim. 
Jesus is the only one that ever bought anything. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. For you were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God in body and in spirit. Right? Ephesians 1, 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of uh, trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Keep going. You can, yeah, thank you. Knowing that you... Yeah, you guys think I really know Scripture. I'm actually looking back here. <laughs> Knowing that you were ransomed from futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, but of a lamb without spot of blemish. Next one. When I'm finished, you can just keep going. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scrolls and to open the seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants or slaves of men. I mean, we could just keep going here. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock which of, which, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His blood. So Jesus is the merchant. So who's the pearl? Who's the treasure now? Miss Carol? Dustin? You're God's treasure. No, Leslie, you're not God's treasure. You're the treasure. Michael? You're God's treasure, brother. You're the pearl, man. God sold everything to have you. The most valuable treasure sold all the treasure to have you. And He loves you. So how do you know the value of an object? You look for, to see how much was paid for it. How valuable are you? The blood of God. The blood of God. See, God didn't need you. God's happy all by himself. He's got Holy Spirit. He's got, well, he is the Father. He's got Jesus. And they're in this beautiful dance called the perichoresis. Where they're exchanging in perfect harmony and love. The three that are one. The three that are so different, but yet are so unified. And they're in perfect harmony. They don't need oxygen. They don't need anything to live by themselves. They are ascetical, or the aseity of God, which is that they don't need anything to live. They are self-sufficient. That's why when God appeared to Moses on a bush of fire, he didn't burn it up because he doesn't need fuel to burn. He's fire all by himself. 
So God doesn't need you. So that would leave us with one other option. God wants you. God wants you. There is treasure. The man that sold everything to have what? You. And that's the gospel of God. The one who had it all sells it all so that he might have you. So next time somebody says, man, you're not worth anything, you tell them, I'm worth God's blood. I'm worth God's blood. So next time all the crummy things you ever did begin to come back, the devil perches himself on your shoulder and says, man, did you mess up there? See, the devil always talks about your past. You know why? Because he doesn't know your future. That's why he's the accuser of the brethren, because you can only accuse somebody of what they've done. That's why he's always doing that. He's back in the past over here, and God sees your redeemed self over here, and he's saying, come, come over here. But see, which voice are you going to listen to? Are you going to say, no, I'm the treasure of God. I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the pearl of God. I'm a pearl of great price, so much so that he sold everything he had, and he purchased the entire field where he could find me within the field. And now I'm the treasure of God because of his blood and because of what he's done in my life. Yeah. I don't know how to end this, so God help us. Help us to see our value. Help us to see what you've done for us. You've sold it all to have us. That you've removed every hindrance and every sin, God, that you might have us. And we thank you. Would you bow your heads with me?